Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. It's good to see a few faces that are visitors, people who come our way from time to time. We're glad you're here, and we hope you'll come by all the time because we uh, here at Lindsley Avenue are simply a group of people who are trying to follow Jesus each and every day, so we're glad you're here. You can see the title of the sermon today has the word giving in it. Uh, I want to assure you nobody's coming looking for your wallet, for your purse, and sometimes giving sermons have in the past, at least my experience, have been in December before a congregation rolls out the new budget and somebody's already made the decision to increase the budget, so we need to kind of whip up on all of us to make sure we're giving more. That is not the case today. I'm not aware of any increasing responsibilities that Lindsley Avenue is trying to take on. No, I haven't heard of any. I simply want to talk about giving under fairly neutral circumstances when we're not looking at any kind of budget or any of that kind of stuff. Everything here at Lindsley Avenue is going fine. That's not the purpose of this lesson this morning at all. But I want us to look at it in the uh, context of what Paul is telling <clears throat> the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I want us to actually look at the verses and then we'll circle back and talk. So let's look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. <clears throat> Paul says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. What's going on here, and the reason Paul's writing, is this is in the, the bigger picture of a famine that had occurred over in the land of Israel. Corinth and Macedonia are over in Greece, a pretty far distance from the land of Israel, certainly in that day. These days you can get on a plane or a boat and be there in a little while without much trouble. But the people in the land of Israel had a famine. They were hurting. They needed help. And they were the people who had heard the gospel, the good news about Jesus first. It was in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the earth. They had been Christians first and they had spent some of their time and money helping to spread the good news across the rest of the world. As a result of their efforts in Israel and in Judea and in Jerusalem, there were now brothers and sisters in Macedonia, which is in northern Greece, Philippi is up there, and in southern Greece, where Corinth is located. So they had spent time and money to spread the good news across the world, giving these people the opportunity to be brothers and sisters, and now there's want. There's need back in Jerusalem and Judea. And so these new Gentile Christians, relatively new, are going to be given the opportunity to help the people that had helped them. That's the context, the circumstances of what we're reading here. So Paul is telling the Christians in Corinth about how generous the people had been up in northern Greece and Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, and other places. Continuing on, for they, these are the people in Macedonia, those Christians in northern Greece, they gave according to their means, as I can testify, 
and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They were begging, please give us the opportunity to help our brothers and sisters. Which brothers and sisters? Those brothers and sisters over there in the land of Israel in the region of Judea, the city of Jerusalem. Right, that I'll talk about a moment and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness and in our love for you, see that you also excel in this act of grace also. Paul refers to this opportunity, this ability to give as an act of grace. So the grace of giving is the ability to impact other people through personal sacrifice, through personal sacrifice. Grace is a free gift, free gift. We have the ability to share grace, as it were, with other people by giving a free gift through the offerings that we offer to God to help other people and help maintain the church. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well. So that your readiness and desire in it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. If the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need. That there may be... <clears throat> Fairness, would you mind getting a thing of water? Thank you. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. All right, long reading, but we're going to circle back through it. Paul is urging the people at Corinth to continue with this action of giving and coming up with money, putting aside money, so that they can help supply the needs of the saints and the Christians in the land of Israel. And he wants to encourage them, you've already started, don't stop now, right? Don't stop now. Well, he uses, thank you very much. It's pretty rough when you don't have a scratchy throat until you get up and start talking in front of people. And then embarrassingly have to take a big swig or something right in front of everybody. Come on, come on. Not quite all right. <laughs> that did feel good, thank you. All right, so he uses five arguments to the people at Corinth about giving. Let's look at what those five arguments were. First, he cites the examples of others. He's speaking to the people in Corinth, and what he does, he, he's very, very smart about this. He uses the example of what the Christians had done in other places to encourage the Christians in Corinth to keep up, to keep doing it. Look what he said. We want you to know, brothers in Corinth, brothers and sisters in Corinth. We want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia, almost like a competition. 
you know, I don't want to belittle this, but you could say, I want you to know how the Vanderbilt fans have responded. And if you're a Tennessee fan, you're like, well, I can't let the Vanderbilt fans, you know, do better than we do. So there's a little competition, a little encouragement. Don't let the Christians up north do a better job than you were doing. For in a severe test of their affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in the wealth of generosity on their part. They gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So what he does is he tells them how generous the Macedonian churches have been up in Philippi, up in Berea, up in Thessalonica. They were poor and in trouble themselves, but they gave all their hat, far more than anyone could have expected. In fact, the word that Paul uses for poor here, there's two words in the original. One means they really didn't have anything left over, just enough, they had just enough, so they didn't have a lot of extras, a lot of luxuries or extra monies. The word he uses here is that they had nothing at all. Two words for poor. One is you're just getting by, and the other one is you've got nothing. That's the word it uses here. In their extreme poverty, they had nothing. So anything they're giving is incredible because it's a whole lot more than anyone could ever expect it. Out of their extreme poverty, they saw the need that their brothers and sisters had, and they found some way to give anyone. At the Jewish Feast of Purim, happens in the springtime, roughly the time of Easter. This is a feast the Jewish people still celebrate today, celebrating the deliverance the Jewish people received in the book of Esther. That's the background for it. Not really talking much about that today, but I want you to know there's a custom, almost a requirement put upon Jewish people at that time, that no matter how poor someone is, no matter how little someone may have, Find someone who's even in a harder situation than you are and give them something. You know, there's always someone, certainly, that has more than you do, that has more than I do. There's always somebody richer. At the same time, there's always somebody, no matter what my circumstance may be, who may, in fact, probably does need help more than I do. I love that custom. I wish we would do it. Whenever... I'm in a circumstance where I'm feeling, you know, poor, pitiful me, woe is me, woe is me, look at all the bad things that are happening to me. One of the best ways to have a proper uh, focus on that, have a prop, put that in perspective, the right perspective, is to find somebody else that's hurting more than you are and go help them. The worst thing you can do is sit in a corner and think, you know, wham. I've had a really hard time. I'll tell you what, let's find somebody having an even harder time and the act of helping them, I'm going to feel a whole lot better because that's what makes us real people. It's not always those who are the most wealthy who are the most generous to. You know, you can, you can laugh at politicians. Sometimes this is not political. But they sometimes, most of the time, have to release their uh, in, their uh, uh, income tax forms, their 1040s. And the news people love to report on how much they gave to charities. <laughs> and I promise you, there are some people, even in this auditorium, that may give more absolute dollars to charities than some of the real famous politicians. Certainly a higher percentage. They are richer than most of us will ever be, but... 
doesn't mean they're more generous. Often those who have the least to give themselves are the ones who are most ready to give because they know what it's like to be doing without. There's my first question today. What about us? Are we more like churches of Macedonia, the people of Macedonia in this example? more like the rich people who aren't as generous or more like people that maybe are generous even when they don't have a lot. What about us? In the second case, he cites the example of Jesus Christ. He's citing the examples of others. Hey, don't let these guys do better than you did. That's never a bad option to try to motivate people. But he also cites the example of Jesus Christ. Look what Jesus did. It picks up here. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ for though that though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. In what way was Jesus rich? He had all the glories of heaven. How much richer can you be, right? We sing the song. We've sung before. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. You know, all these riches are going to be yours in the future. He left it all and was born in an animal feed trough. We call it a manger. It's, it's a little place that would put the, the stuff they fed to the animals in the barn. That's where he was cooing or whatever as a little bitty baby. He came into the world with nothing, having left everything. For your sake, though he was rich, he became poor. So that by his poverty, his entrance into the world with nothing, you and I, notice what he says, might become rich. Gene, I, I, it must not be working. I, I, I don't see a whole lot in my pocket. That's not the kind of riches that Jesus brought to any of us. He didn't come to bring riches of money, but riches of grace, riches of mercy, riches of becoming an adopted child of the God who made everything. The sacrifices that Jesus did not begin on the cross. Sometimes we'll talk about the sacrifice. We're going to probably in a few minutes when we do the Lord's Supper. We'll talk about the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. It didn't start there. It didn't even begin with his birth. You know, being born in a, in a stable with the animals all around. I mean, you know, hay everywhere. We, we do that with, we put on a nativity scene. <laughs> hay goes everywhere. I smell like hay for a day or two or three. It, it didn't start with his birth, it began in heaven. It began when he set aside the glory that is rightfully his, it was and always will be rightfully his, and he left that aside and emptied himself, taking on the form of a man. Paul's challenge to the Christian is in Corinth and to us, right? With that tremendous example, if you will, of generosity before us, how can you hold back how could you hold back in Corinth when you've got this example of generosity from Jesus? You know, my question is now, don't you? What about us? What about us? You know, I will never forget the example of my eighth grade Bible teacher. He was an interesting man. Eighth grade Bible teacher. He was a golf coach, so it was always pretty strange Bible lessons. But his example on being generous involved taking out your, your, your wallet, looking over whatever might be in there and saying, all right, no, dinner tomorrow, here's what I've got left, right? Pulling out whatever it might be, giving out of what's left. 
I've always remembered that's never the way to give. Because Jesus didn't give out of what was left. Hopefully you'll remember that. In the third case, he cites their own past record. The people in Corinth had been generous before. He's like, don't stop now. Don't stop now. Look what he says. But as you, Christians in Corinth, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, intensity, and in our love for you, you are. we love you in many ways, Paul says, more than any of the other churches. He spent a lot of time in Corinth. Several letters written to Corinth. Corinth was on his mind a lot. As you excel in everything, see that you excel here too. Don't stop now. Keep going. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, they started trying to put money aside a year ago, but they also had the desire to do that a year ago. So now finish doing it as well. So that your readiness in desiring it, your intensity in wanting to do it a year ago, can be matched by completing it. Don't stop now. Right? It's, it's kind of sad sometimes. We'll drive around and we'll see it. I remember a house out uh, off the whole road. Everybody knows what that is. It was in an unfinished state for like 10 years. We'd drive past the thing and wonder how many birds were in it because there was a start something. Yeah, don't finish it. Always real sad. Why bother starting it if you're not going to try to finish it? Paul says to them, you did such a great job in starting it. Don't let up now. Keep going. Keep going. They've been foremost in everything. How can you lag behind in this? If we were only true to our highest standards, how different would the world be? If people generally simply finish what they started. Think of the differences that could be in our world. If we focused on generosity rather than greed, what would, what would the world look like? And my next question, I know you've seen this, yeah, it's going to show up a lot. What about us? What have we started in terms of doing good for people, trying to do this kind of make a difference? What have we started that maybe we haven't really finished. We let it kind of drift away over here. What can we pick up again and try to finish? He stresses the necessity of putting feeling into action. <clears throat> Chapter 8, verse 10. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness and desiring it can be matched by completing it out of what you have. The Corinthians had been first to feel the appeal to do this. They had the desire to do it apparently like first. Very early on in the appeal to help the needy Christians over in Israel and Judea and Jerusalem, they wanted to do it. They had the desire to do it. Do it. Do it. A feeling that only remains a feeling, a pity which is only stays as a pity in the heart, a desire that never turns into a deed, is really very frustrating and it's a tragedy. Now, if I were to need, you know, some sort of hair cream, right? You had the desire to supply me with hair cream, but the desire simply stayed a desire. You never bought me any. Look how I stay. That's pretty pitiful. I'm joking around, but 
there's so many things where the Bible condemns feeling something without doing something. Think about James chapter 2. If any of you sees a brother and sister who's in need of whether it's food or clothing and you say, I sure hope you get something to eat. Or it would be really nice if you found something warm. Good luck to you. How is that person showing any kind of love? You can have the feeling. Everybody gets feelings. Only some of us turn those feelings into doing something about it. It's good to feel. Much rather have you, any of us, all of us, me, feel than not feel at all. Don't get me wrong. There are lots of people that never feel anything. But you can't stop it just feeling. You've got to take the feeling and turn it into an action. And that's what I love about all of you. Of all the places, so many places that I have been the last several years, when there's some kind of need here, when Lindsley Avenue comes up with a need, Robbie issues a whistle, and we, there's a group of us that come running. We're here to help. You need something? We'll help take care of it. That's a beautiful thing. Individually, when we're not gathered together, do the same thing. When we see a need, when we have a feeling somebody ought to do something about that, let your middle name be somebody. Gene, somebody right. Maybe somebody should have children one of these days and put their middle name as somebody. There's always somebody here. Be somebody to do something about it. The tragedy is we have these great impulses, but we don't turn them into actions. It is a true tragedy of life. What's coming next? What about us? He also told them that things even out over time. Things even out over time. And I think that's an important thing to remember. He reminds them that life has a strange way of balancing things out over time and that things should be fair. Look what he says. For if the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what a person does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. I'm not trying to say, Paul is telling them, that other congregations, other Christians, other groups should give less and you give a whole lot more. He's not trying to burden the people at Corinth. But as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need so that there may be fairness. And the quote here that it ends this with is from Exodus 16. He says, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. He's talking about when the people went out to gather manna, the bread that fell out of heaven, People gathered what they needed and there was no lack. Whether they gathered a lot or whether they gathered little, everybody had what they needed. Everything turned out to even out over time. Far more often than not, we find that it's measured to us with the same measure that we measure to other people. How generous I am to others is going to work out over time to be how generous somebody is to me. When you have the opportunity, be generous, take action while you have the opportunity. There's going to come a time when you're going to be in need, and wouldn't it be nice to know that everybody 
is trying to act generously. Everybody's trying to give. Everybody's trying to help. Life has a way of repaying bounty with bounty and sparing spirit with sparing spirit. Life has a way of bringing generosity back to somebody who is generous and has a way sometimes of having you know, people not know what your name is when you didn't know their name. Things even out over time. What about this? What about this? Now here's the next question. What if I don't have much or anything? Gene, you've been talking about giving. Yeah. Hey, what if I don't have anything to really do any of this with? But what if I have very, very little? Paul said that giving is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what somebody doesn't have. There is no dollar amount that everybody's supposed to give. There is no comparison with the richest person in the world who walks into Lansley Avenue and puts, I don't know, a pile of Bitcoin or a pile of gold or whatever it may be, oil today, I guess, right? A barrel of oil on the contribution plate. There's no comparison. People are to give based on what you got. And if you don't have much, that's okay. You're not judged on giving with what you don't have. It's not the amount somebody has. It's the heart somebody has. The example Paul gave is this quote from Exodus. We talked about this when manna was being collected. Wherever somebody gathered little or much was enough. When giving from the heart, the amount does not matter. It doesn't. No gift can be in any real sense a gift unless you give a bit of yourself with it. That's why personal giving is always the highest kind. You know, you can write a check or send money to this charity, to, you know, United Way, although they support some things I'm not real happy with, or send a check to the Red Cross or all these different things. It's a, the best kind of giving is when you give it directly to people and see the joy in their eyes. What's this? You're helping me? That's what we're talking about. The kind of giving that Jesus gave is the supreme example because he gave to each one of us. I want to focus on what Paul said here. It's buried in the passage. I read it out loud, but I didn't call attention to it when I did it, but I want to right now. They gave themselves first to the Lord. Paul says that in the middle of this passage. You can find it if you go back. Talking about the churches in Macedonia, the churches in Philippi, the church in Thessalonica and Berea, who out of their extreme poverty gave so much more than anybody expected. But what he says here is, before they did that, before they found a way to give, they gave themselves first to God. No giving is of any consequence at all if we haven't done this first. Whether we have little or nothing, we do have our lives that we can and should give to the Lord. So the real reason for a focus on giving today is not money. It's not checks. It's not give as you can, if you can. Right? The heart's what matters. The important thing. The reason I wanted to talk about this today is right there. I'm much more concerned. I think God is much more concerned with whether we have given ourselves to 
Is my life living for myself or is it living for God? Please, 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 if you're not living for God today, don't leave here without changing that. You change that by recognizing what God has done for you, knowing that I'm not living the right way. I need to do an about face called repentance. I need to quit living and doing the things I want to do, and I need to do what God wants me to do. You confess, I am a sinner, and Jesus is the Son of God. He died for me. And you die yourself by being buried in water, just like we have behind that curtain, the waters of baptism, so that you can be raised to walk as a new person. If you're already a member of God's family, but when we were saying, what about me? What about us? If you kind of felt something in here, it's like, I really haven't been living maybe in that way that I should have. If you're already a member of God's family, then this is your opportunity to come and ask for prayer. We take your name to God, just as we need to take all of our names to God, to live more for him today and tomorrow than we may have yesterday. We can give our lives to the Lord. That's the important thing that Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 8. My last question here is a little different. That's the question this morning. Please give it a whole lot of thought as together we stand.